This is 560 WFIL. Well, hey there, and uh, thanks for checking in. You may have noticed the slightly different music on this episode of our Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine. That's because the spotlight is on clean comedy this time as we celebrate the release of a brand new book by comedian Gordon Douglas. He's been a regular on our program through the years, and his stuff just keeps getting better and better. You'll have two opportunities to experience Gordon and his friends live and in person next weekend, the 11th and 12th. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. And then later in this hour, classic laughs from the archives of our wildly popular Clean Comedy Club here on the Mark Daniels Show. But up first, it's Growth Spurts and Growing Pains, Things I Wish I Knew, Volume 1. The new book from the man who's helped raise 15 kids over the course of his 35-year marriage to Dawn. In fact, they were Pennsylvania's 2009 Parents of the Year. Gordon's a former full-time pastor turned full-time Christian comedian, and his hilarity for charity programs have raised millions of dollars for good causes over the years. He's appeared a number of times at our Bible conference because, just as his URL claims, Gordon Douglas is funny. Gordon, great to have you back. Great to be here. Well, take a second at the outset here and catch us up on your life and what's happening. You're still knocking them dead out on the road. You're still helping charities and ministries uh, generate millions of dollars in gifts. Uh, fill us in. What's going on? You know, I, I'm in state 12 of a 16-state tour right now. It is, it's banquet season where I do my hilarity for charity program, mm-hmm. in large part for pregnancy centers, but also for Habitat for Humanity, uh, American Cancer Society. And sadly, in light of the hurricane, we're doing uh, me and my buddies are doing some fundraisers to help out the victims of the hurricane. Uh, just up in New Hampshire last week, it was NASCAR weekend in New Hampshire, so it was packed. And I'm naive. In my hotel are all the all the pit crews of of the different teams, and uh, I'm naive to this. I, I I asked him. I didn't even know what NASCAR standed for, and I asked him if it was a non athletic sport centered around rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> Good, an acronym, as yes, it were. Yes. yes. Well, so why, after all these years, did you decide to write a book? You know, my, my hero, my mentor in comedy and ministry is Mike Williams, and uh, he writes a book a year on his adventures, on missions, and he has been on me for 10 years to put my story of my family, my faith, my ups and downs in comedy, uh, to put it in writing. And so much of Christian entertainment can be just for money, and for me and for Mike, it was about ministry. And he finally convinced me that uh, my my book could actually help people and maybe used as a small group study guide and encourage folks. So... Uh, for a guy with ADD that's hyper that doesn't like to do homework or write term papers, it was it was a struggle to get started. But once I did, uh, boy, I'm so glad I did. And God is really using it. Well, I have uh, learned your story over the years because it comes out through your comedy and you tell those stories. And so little by little, I've been able to piece it together. A lot of your story is in this book. Give us a general overview of how uh, Growth Spurts and Growing Pains is constructed before we drill down on a couple of the chapters. Sure, exactly. What I did is is I took out a sticky pad and I wrote down the 10 funniest things that I ever did, the 10 stupidest things I ever did, (laughs) the 10 most embarrassing things I ever did. And then really 10 of the best life lessons. That was kind of my start. And my wife and I ended up with 80 little sticky pads on a big whiteboard. And we picked the top 30 really with the thought of making it a monthly devotional, kind of a funny daily bread. 
but I do not have the gift of writing a three-page story or three-paragraph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Daily Breads, three paragraphs, they capture such a truth. Yeah. But mine are more three pages, kind of a daily read, a little three- to five-minute read with a thought for the day, something I really wanted my kids to learn or people in my church to learn about life, about money, about marriage, about anger, about about the things that, that are funny and, and really some things that are painful, you know, hence the title. Yeah. You know, there are gross spurts in my life where I did write things, and there are things that caused me some real growing pains. Mm. And uh, I have a few comments on folks that have bought the books that they were surprised at some of the painful stories that I shared. Uh, blowing it as a husband, you know, you know, not always the perfect father, and even following the Lord. Uh, there are times I failed him, and I struggled, and I've argued and fought, and uh, uh, I put those in there because sometimes when you're on stage, people think, oh, it must be so fun at your house. You're a comedian. Oh, I bet you're the world's greatest yeah. husband, and uh, <laughs> you never have a problem, and I said, oh, I want to correct that error right up front. Yeah. You're a Christian talk show host. I bet you and your wife are constantly in prayer, and yeah, <laughs> I get the exactly. same thing sometimes. Well, you, you mentioned that uh, each of the chapters ends with a little bit of advice, something you wish you knew much sooner than you learned it. Here comes the pick your favorite child question. All right. Pick one of your favorite or maybe your favorite life lesson from the book. You know, my, my favorite chapter is probably chapter 32, and, and, and that is don't focus on this family. Obviously, on a radio show, you can see where yeah. I'm going with this, uh-huh. but it was 30 years in the making where you read through the book, the ups and downs, my dream of being a comedian, of going to Hollywood, of getting on some shows, of failing at some shows and struggling in ministry and, and had people praying over me and even prophesying that I was going to have a show that would go around the world and touch thousands. And I've got a youth group of three kids <laughs> and, and, and two of them don't like me. And, uh, so I go from that that all of a sudden in a six-week period, uh, I do a little comedy show in South Jersey at a firehouse, and they make a little cassette copy that gets sent to focus on the family that led to an interview, that led to a meeting Shonda Pierce, that led to a TV show, that led to uh, what rally now is a national and even international ministry. Uh, so it, it's really where everything comes together. So in that part, it's my favorite. But the lesson through those 30 chapters leading up to it is, you know, God was working long before I ever saw it. He was behind the scenes when I didn't think he was doing anything. Mm. And it really, above all, that he could use somebody like me that messes everything up, that <laughs> struggles with self-identity and battles depression and some of the things that I, I was transparent about. Yeah, it is a long road uh, for most people. You started long before the days of, you know, America's Got Talent, four episodes, and you got a $100,000 nightly gig in Vegas somewhere. It just starts at the top. Yeah, I was even before the gong show. Yeah. And, and uh, when that came out, I, I did clubs that modeled that that type of comedy of just yeah. humiliating performers going up, and you get one minute. And you know, hopefully, you, you, if you win them, you get an extra minute. But uh, it, it was it's, it's, it's humiliating. But, yeah, there's still something that drives us comedians, the, the love of applause, the need for affirmation. There's a lot in there. Yeah. Well, you, since you brought that up, uh, that wasn't in my plan, but I do want to ask you about it. At some point along the way, I guess, if it's not part of who they are, a comedian has to determine you know, what direction his or her comedy is going to take. Uh, what was that moment or that period of time that said, I- I'm going to go this direction? I'm going to do clean. I'm going to do even Christian-oriented comedy. You know, I, I guess my early influences, the Red Skeletons, the Jonathan yeah. Winters. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up on that and watching the Ed Sullivan comedian. So it was always clean. So when I started in the mid-70s, uh, that was my style. When I went out to Hollywood to give it my big shot, all these agents and producers are saying, you know, you're really good, you're really good, but 
Mm. You need to spice up your act. You need to. And they were telling me how I could play innocent and still be dirty and how the clubs were getting. And I just had no peace. I was mm. a brand new believer in Jesus. And I just thought, I, I don't want to go down that road. And uh, that really is what led to me leaving that world to go into youth ministry because I, I wanted to share something positive and and I had I had a whole new life beginning and uh, my old comedy was sarcastic uh, more Don Rickles style people have that hard time believing that now mm. oh you're such a nice guy but I my first job as a comedian working with an agency was to memorize a hundred insults. <laughs> So that if someone heckled you, you buried them. They're fat, mm-hmm. they're ugly, they're bald, they're stupid. I mean, you just you memorized insults. And, and and in clubs, half the act was often dealing with hecklers back in those days. I got to say, audiences are much nicer now. And since half of my uh, my events are in churches or church-related, people are very kind. You rarely get a heckler. Occasionally, you'll get someone who wants to be part of the show. But it's not the angry, nasty stuff of the 70s. Well, you've had the experience of uh, performing in front of Amish and Mennonite audiences. Now, tell me how that is, because I just can't imagine how you keep you get a rhythm going and keep it moving when, you know, there may be a little more stoic than most. Uh, yeah, I have I have a rule in church arguments. The more pipes in the organ, the less likely they'll probably laugh. Or the more stagly. Yeah, yeah, it's good. The, yeah. The, yeah, the classic line for the Presbyterians is they're the frozen chosen. Yeah. But yeah, the Mennonites and Amish take it a step or two beyond that. <laughs> but yet I do find God has given each enough uh, the need to laugh. And, and even a verse of the Bible that says there's a time to laugh. And it's finding what they like. I, I I equate it to, since it's World Series time, a, a pitcher in the World Series. If you've got a good curveball, that's great. But if it ain't working, you better have a slider or a changeup. Mm-hmm. In my years in comedy, I can I have a couple different thoughts and, and ways I can take stuff. But I, I do very well with that crowd. And, and it is a true story. It's one of my favorite jokes. But my first Amish audience was 600 dairy farmers at Shady Maple. Oh, yeah. And they introduced me as the father of 19 kids. And one of the farmers yelled, rookie. Yeah, <laughs> slacker. <laughs> it is a... A true story, and it showed me right there. Oh, they really do like to laugh. There's there's something that goes on there, and uh, it it just went great from there. Now, as we head to the break, you can catch Gordon Douglas next weekend at two big events: Saturday the 11th at his annual Laugh for Life comedy fundraiser to benefit Delaware County Pregnancy Center. It'll be at 7 p.m. at Faith Community Church on Edgemont Avenue in Brookhaven, featuring Gordon and Clean Comedy Challenge winner Marty Simpson. Then the next night, it's the third annual Christian Comedy Showcase featuring Gordon and Marty, plus the great Al Smith, Dave and Brian, and others. That'll be at 7 p.m. Sunday at New Life Glenside Church, 467 North Easton Road. Complete info for both shows online now at GordonDouglasIsFunny.com. GordonDouglasIsFunny.com. More proof of that next as our conversation continues about Gordon's new book, Growth Spurts and Growing Pains. This, as our Mark Daniels show, turns the page. Hear a commercial-free podcast of our show online. Simply search the keyword Mark at WFIL.com and then look for the link. Comedian Gordon Douglas is here. We're talking about his brand new book, Growth Spurts and Growing Pains. You know, all these great stories are in the book, and it's kind of hard to believe all this has happened to one person. But what really attracted me to the book was not so much the big, impressive stories. It was the little stuff that so many of us of that generation shared. For example, um, I had four 
uh, siblings in my house. When the single phone in, in the house rang, it was a race to see who would get to it. Often I would knock my brother to the yeah. ground to get to that receiver first. Absolutely. I had the experience of sitting uh, next to my dad's lazy boy when he came home from work. He'd turn on the television before he sat down, but I was the remote control. Yep, yep. He would send me over, and I'd go be, you know, between the three channels, 3, 6, and 10, uh, until we found what it is he wanted to see, adjusting the rabbit ears along the way. It's those little things that really kind of kept me going through the book. It was one of the fun things in writing a book. I'll, uh, probably a third of it, maybe even half, is parts of my comedy routine. But when I broke them into chapters, I tried to come up with a very creative introduction and then, of course, the closing thought. Uh, and, uh, so I did a lot of research in history, the Civil War. There's stuff in there about science uh, and, and certainly TV trivia. There's a big part about my mother, the car. There's early TVs, oh the early phones, uh, the Hee Haw show, uh, Gong show. There's references to a lot of those things. I, I, I didn't even know that uh, Dick Van Dyke, or not Dick Van Dyke, his brother, Jerry Van Dyke, uh, was in My Mother, the Car, considered the second worst TV show ever produced. But to do that show, he had turned down a role on what became one of the most popular shows ever, which is Gilligan's Island. Ah. <laughs> so sometimes you make choices wow. and, and you just he just thought there's no way anybody would watch a show about a people on an island. But somehow he thought a talking car with your reincarnated mother was going to capture the hearts of people. You just never – yeah, and lightning strikes here and there. Well, a, a big part of this book is about uh, your dad. My dad would have been 82 today. So I was thinking a lot about that as I looked to, to your book again. He was larger than life to me. I know you had a similar experience. Talk about your, your dad's influence on your life and ultimately on what yeah, you wrote. He here. was in the newspaper recently in one of those sections that uh, 40 years ago today, sections of our local newspaper where he had pitched back-to-back no-hitters the same day for a minor league team. Wow. And that was before he was shipped off to Korea to work in a medical mass unit. Mm. He was an ambulance driver in a mass unit, and he left behind uh, a wife who was six months pregnant. So I think of that generation, and I just marvel. Truly larger than life. I, I, I can't even imagine when I'm on the road and away from my kids three, four days at a pop. I can't wait to get back. So I admire him for that. He was a great athlete. He was a good guy. And here is a skinny guy struggling to follow in my dad's footsteps. Uh, my dad uh, bumped his head on a car. Long story short is that he ended up uh, had a brain tumor. And it left him paralyzed from the waist down and blind and deaf on one side and 17 surgeries in 23 years. Mm. And a big, big part of who I am today in marriage is by watching my mom keep her commitment for better or worse when she got worse for 23 years. Uh, it was watching my dad fight what the doctor said he could never do. You'll, you'll never walk again. And he did for six years before he finally succumbed to the wheelchair. Uh, uh, and, and it also just uh, you just don't expect tragedy of that level when you're a kid. And it turned my world upside down. And in large part, it turned me away from God for years. I was so angry. If there is a God, why did this happen? Why won't you fix him? Why won't you heal him? And uh, I was very angry with God and, and battled my own depressions because nothing seemed to be going right in my life. Yeah. And, and that was like kind of one of the three worst things that ever happened in my life. But I learned a lot of lessons about perseverance, about commitment. A lot of good things came out of what is a bad tragedy. Well, that's some of the heavier stuff, but it's mostly lighter stuff. And uh, I want to just uh, hit a couple of touch points along the way. I can't do all these stories. It would take hours. There's for us 39 to of them. <laughs> wow. Well, for example, uh, Gordy, the, the first opportunity you had that you almost blew. Talk about that one. Uh, yeah, I was I was doing a show for Bill Haley and the Comets. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, Rockstar. Sure, Young yeah. listeners may not know the name, but uh -huh. they would remember the theme from Happy Days. 
uh, really revolutionized music. But Bill Haley was from Chester, Pennsylvania, and one of his uh, musicians passed away. And in his will, he left money to do a party. And he said, uh, we've entertained people around the world when I die. I want to have a party, and I want someone to entertain my friends. Hmm. So my, my very first comedy show ever was for professional entertainers and all centered around Bill Haley and the Comets. Huh. And I had practiced for six months. I was working with Julie DeJohn, a local singer, and she said, I think you're ready. Why don't you do this show with me tonight? Wow. And I had 10 minutes. And when I went on stage, the big introduction, ladies and gentlemen, as we start our show, the stage debut of a new comedian here from Philadelphia, Gordy. And they told me it had to be Gordy, not Gordon, because yeah. comedians had to have a happy sounding That's name. That's right. Uh, Joey Bishop and Daddy Thomas. And I said, what about Bob Hope and George Burns? They don't end with the I sound or Y sound. <laughs> but, but I went with Gordy for a while and I got on the stage and, and the spotlights on me and all the celebrities are in the audience and I just froze. I, I, got, I said, what an honor to be here tonight to honor a world-famous musician, an international star named and – I, and, I, and I drew a blank. Yeah. Now, in my ADD mind, it was like 10 minutes long. It was probably 10 seconds, maybe even less. But in that moment, I remembered there was a big picture of Rudy behind me, and his name was sprawled across the stage. So I turned around and read his name, and the whole crowd roared. Because I was busting on the dead guy yeah. who was paying for the party. <laughs> you didn't intend to, and it worked out perfectly. It was the biggest laugh I ever got. Wow. Well, you did mention uh, Bob Hope, and I know that he uh, uh, looms large in your, your biography. I mean, how did, at one point along the way, you end up you know, walking the streets of uh, Hollywood, being able to write for Bob Hope, the, the biggest legend in broadcasting and stage in movie history. Yeah, 41 straight years away from home during Christmas to, so he could entertain troops. I yeah. still marvel at that, mm -hmm. which is why we started Operation Belly Lamps. We yeah. send comedy tapes and videos to the troop. But I was working in South Philly at the Gulf Oil Refinery right at the Penrose Bridge Yeah, and, and doing comedy and starting to do well. And one of the old-time refinery guys said, you know, I used to work with Bob Hope in vaudeville. And I said, oh, sure you did. Like, everybody knows somebody. And he said, I I'm going to send them your tape if that's all right. And, well, what do you got to lose? So I mm -hmm. said, okay. And two weeks later, I got a letter from NBC that Bob Hope liked my tape wow. and invited me to come and be part of an audition for a show. Wow. I mean, someone that knew someone that knew someone. And uh, yeah, again, I see that as God's hand on me now. But <laughs> it was such an incredible opportunity to be yeah. a part of a team. And I still keep in touch with two of his writers, hmm. Gene Perrette, who wrote The Carol Burnett Show for 12 years, sure. all the Dean Martin roasts, and he's still writing. He's in his 70s, and he's still writing out in Hollywood, and it, that, that's just awesome. It's really hard to quantify for a young person how huge Bob Hope was. Yes. We, we don't have anybody like that. Justin Timberlake is not Bob Hope. No. I mean, he absolutely dominated radio, yes. television, the stage, film, and, and of course, stand-up comedy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The breadth of that, and through the transition of the technology, just as you said, to go from vaudeville to radio was a huge step. Mm -hmm. But you use your whole vaudeville act in one radio show. So now, what do you do? What you've done for twenty years? He's out of jokes. Mm -hmm. So he is the first guy that actually started using writers because he had to come up with new thirty minutes. You know, once a week. And in some cases, these radio shows were on five nights a oh, week. Yeah. And you know all about that when you've got to prepare a whole new show yeah. every day. People yeah. can't fathom hmm. what kind of work that is. 
Well, in this book, there are great stories, incredible classic one-liners, passionate inspiration, advice, and recipes. Yes, there are recipes. (laughs) People laugh at that. (laughs) Well, why are recipes in this book? (laughs) You know, I I was trying to be strategic in marketing, and I heard heard cookbooks sell our bestsellers. So I thought if I put recipes, I could be listed in the best – in a cookbook That's section. Funny. But but and really what the book is in large part in an overview is a recipe for success in life. You know, what is your dream? What is your passion? Uh, how can you experience the best life possible? So I, I kind of used the two things together to share it. But also there are recipes. I, I'm a skinny guy that loves to eat. And being from Scotland, I had a little Yorkshire pudding thing that my grandma used to make that we put in. And then uh, yeah, I, I'm a hyper guy without coffee, but I did put a coffee cake recipe in. Very nice. So it was to be part funny, but a kind of a great summary of the book. Well, I found out in Volume 1 that there will be a Volume 2 at some point. Yes. It's in there. And it's already started. The tentative title is That's Not True. (laughs) Okay. Well, I encourage our listeners to take the logical first step. Get a copy of Volume 1. You can pick up a copy along with the DVDs and CDs at GordonDouglasIsFunny.com online. GordonDouglasIsFunny.com where I imagine they can catch up with you at one of your uh, upcoming appearances, for example, on sure, the 11th. Sure, right? we're coming up November 11th, Saturday night in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania. We're doing our annual Laugh for Life show supporting the Delaware County Pregnancy Center. We have five comedians from all over the country coming in for a conference. And while they're here, I ask if they could help out a ministry that I'm on the board of, the Delaware County Pregnancy Center, helping women with unplanned, unwanted pregnancies. So we have a great lineup. Uh, the headliner this year is Marty Simpson, who won the Clean Comedy Competition. Competition. Not a Christian competition of all clean comedians across the country. Uh, he was the winner last year, and uh, he's really good. Young woman from up in, the, in uh, Rhode Island named Rhonda Corey, who is really making an impact now in comedy. And then some of our local buddies right here in the Philadelphia area. We've got young and old, black and white, women and men. We've got something for everybody. Yeah, and that's what uh, I want to close on, too. Uh, you've been to our Bible conference a number of times, have killed every time you were there. And I'm just fascinated by the way that your style and the comedy that you do and the way you deliver it really reaches every single demographic and and, you know from from amish people to highbrows out on the main line yeah and part of that is the lessons i've learned in comedy number one rule is know your audience and teenagers obviously laugh at different things than senior citizens Mm -hmm. and people up in the northeast are a lot different than people down in the south so i have learned to adapt a little bit so i have a few extra pitches to go back to my analogy of the world series that's cool Well, again, Growth Spurts and Growing Pains, Things I Wish I Knew, Volume 1, is now available. Gordon, thanks for coming back. I wish you the best with this. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. All right. Again, for details about next weekend's comedy shows, Saturday in Brookhaven and Sunday in Glenside, and for all things Gordon, including his new book, the website is gordondouglasisfunny.com. And when we return, in honor of Gordon's big weekend, we'll delve into the archives of the Clean Comedy Club on The Mark Daniels Show and share some of our blasts from the past as this weekend magazine returns in just a moment. AM 560 and WFIL.com. Change your station, change your life. We're back on our Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine as we hearken back to a time we were on five days a week with this program, offering something different every weekday. We had uh, Monday Ministry, Tuesday Talk, Wednesday Worship, Thursday Theology, and Friday Fun. 
And every weekend, that fun was expressed through Christian comedy on a show I call The Clean Comedy Club. Gordon Douglas, our guest in the first half hour of this program, was one of my earliest performers on the show. Later, we grew as the genre grew, and now clean Christian comedy is part of many churches and fundraisers around the world. I've chosen just a few of those great performers to feature this half hour of the show. But let's get started with a classic. Before he was a singer, before he was an actor on television, Andy Griffith was a stand-up comedian. Let's step together into the Wayback Machine. In recent years, many performers have had hits with songs that recall the classic tale of Romeo and Juliet. The Reflections, We the Kings, and Taylor Swift come immediately to mind. Perhaps, though, Andy Griffith wasn't on your Romeo and Juliet hit list. But he was there first, back in the 1950s, when his countryfied rendition of Shakespeare was a bona fide hit. It's a story about how this boy and girl was in love of one another, don't you see? It is. And everything would have been all right for them, except that their daddies didn't get along. They didn't. And when the play opens, Juliet's daddy is a-throwing this big fancy dress ball, and he invited the whole town to be there, but he didn't invite none of Romeo's people to come. And his buddies learned of it, and they put him up to slipping on a costume and slipping in at this party. And he was a spunky kind of a boy, and he done it. I think. He done it, and he got in there, and everything was a-going good. Till all of a sudden, this girl, Juliet, come down the stairs. And he was so struck by her that he give a soliloquy right there. (laughs) He did. And it wasn't about being or not being. It was about doing or not doing. Well, the do's, they won out over the don'ts. And so what he done, he got her by the hand and started to take her out in the yard. And we'll never know what it was that there's going to do out there. We won't because this fella Tybalt recognized Romeo for who he was and come up on him a trying to pick a fight. But uh, Juliet's daddy, he didn't want no bloodshed right there in his living room. He didn't, so all he done, he run Romeo off. But uh, Romeo didn't go straight home. No, he didn't. He went out and hid in the yard till everybody left the party. And then when they had all went, he popped up and looked around. And he seen this light come on away off yonder. And he says to himself, he says, hark. He says, what light by yonder window shines? He did. And, and let me tell you, Juliet step, stepped out of her bedroom window onto this stoop. And uh, she gave a soliloquy. She did, friends, and somewhere in it, somewhere in it, she says, Romeo, Romeo. She says, wherefore art thou, Romeo? And he popped up and says, I'm right here. <laughs> well, as it happened, there was this great big pea vine growing up to where she is a standing. <laughs> 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 
And so he clumb up it. He clumb up it, and that is where they had that balcony scene. And he, they hadn't been there but just a few minutes till he asked her to marry him. And that shows that he was an honorable boy about it all. Well, she says when. And he's... Well, he says now, and that shows that he wasn't up there for no light courting. He wanted to get on with it. Well, there were so many of them died that they had to keep a preacher on duty day and night. <laughs> Fella Friar Lawrence was his name. And so Romeo and Juliet, they went downstairs and woke him up and told him what it was that they wanted to do, and he thought that was all right. So he married them right there. But then, don't you see, it was a question of where they was to spend the night, things being how they, how they was and all. And uh, Friar Lawrence told Romeo that he ought to go on home that night. And uh, Romeo, he didn't take to it too hot. He didn't. He didn't, but he did. He went on home that night, and, and then Romeo thought that he better go off and lay low till things cooled off. And while he is gone, friends, Juliet's mama took a great notion that Juliet ought to get married. And then she was in a bind. She was. Because she didn't want two husbands because she figured that Romeo would be enough to take care of by self. And so she went back down to Friar Lawrence to see what she ought to do. And he mixed her up a drink and she drunk it and she fell out across the bed there and everybody thought she is dead. And they had this big pretty funeral and laid her out in this family tomb and all. And before that Friar Lawrence could get word to Romeo that she wasn't really dead, some of them mean boys that lived in that town told him that she was dead. And he figured life didn't hold nothing for him. So he went out and got him this big can of light to drink. So he went over to this tomb where it was she was laid out, and he opened the door of it, and he says, Oh, my love, oh, my wife. He did. And he went in, and he drunk the lie, and kissed her and says, with this kiss, I die. And he fell out across to that. And uh, he was a big boy for his age. <laughs> he was. And the impact of him, a falling on her, woke her up. And she woke up, didn't know what was going on. And she looked there and seen Romeo a laying dead. And then she figured life didn't hold nothing for her. And then she took his knife and run it into herself. And she expired. She did, friends, and the moral of it is, if you've got a boy that courts a girl that you don't like, or the other way around, if you don't want the expense of a double funeral on you, the best thing for you to do is to let them have a cheap wedding. on this special edition of the Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine in honor of the release of the brand new book by Gordon Douglas called Growth Spurts and Growing Pains. We're taking you back through the years to the best of our clean comedy club on the Mark Daniels Show. It's high time that women got their due, don't you think? Why not the great Anita Renfro here on the Mark Daniels Show? 
just want to tell you as a theological explanation tonight uh, that I don't think there's anything inherently evil about carbohydrates or else Jesus would not have described himself as the bread of life. Because if you don't think bread is good, you are not eating the right bread. I love bread. I love to go to the grocery store when I'm alone. Uh, but they say you should never go to the grocery store hungry. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Never go to the grocery store hungry, which I think is ridiculous. Why else would I be there? <laughs> right after a meal, I'm not feeling like I need to go right then. <laughs> Prop my feet up and watch some TV. I am not going to But they say that's when you should go because it keeps you from making impulse buys. Uh, but I, it's like saying... Hey, you should never go get gas unless your car's full. I do know two things. You should never go to Sephora without your makeup on. They got mirrors everywhere, and all of a sudden you're looking around, you're like, I look bad. I'm going to buy everything in this store. You should, uh, you have to go also to the store yourself. If it's something you really want, You have to go and get it yourself. You cannot send anyone else to the grocery store because their values do not match your values. They will get some off-brand something and sometimes not even the right thing. You cannot send your husband to the grocery store for you because I have tried it. And my man is very particular when it comes to some things. But when I send him to the grocery store, just any old thing, it doesn't matter. He'll just get any old thing. I have even resorted to new technology like taking a picture of it on my cell phone. Texting the picture to him so he can pick it out of the lineup. And he will still bring home the wrong thing. This is the same man who will stand at the Home Depot and stare for an hour and a half to find the right one-eighth inch lug nut. But he'll come home and he'll say, oh, you wanted pickles? Well, I got olives. Isn't that the same thing? (laughs) And I don't ever get dressed up to go to the grocery store. Any of y'all dress, really dressed to go? We just go in whatever you're in, right? Just whatever you're in. And I always pray on the way to the grocery store, dear God, please don't let me see anybody I know. (laughs) But, you know, on the front of the sign, right when you come into the grocery store, it's very clearly stated right there. It says, shoes and shirt required. Why not pants? Doesn't it seem like that's a bigger issue? If you're... Well, it's just about time to close the doors of this special edition of our Mark Daniels Show Weekend Magazine featuring the best of the clean comedy club. Now, a reminder, this coming Tuesday is Election Day, so be sure to exercise your right and your responsibility to vote this coming Tuesday. So with politics in the air, I thought we'd offer our own little take on things. In a moment, we'll recall the night in 1969 that the great Red Skelton reminded us of the significance of our Pledge of Allegiance. But up first, Mark Lowry gives us an idea of the kind of elected representative he might make. (laughs) Enjoy. 
And you know, Bill, I've written a campaign song for my candidacy in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center tonight. And it goes like this. Chord, please. Just suppose that all the votes were cast And I came out ahead Republicans and Democrats Elected me instead I'd speed things up I'd get things done I'm hyper as can be I'll only need a two-year term Cause I've got ADD So let me be your president Somebody swear me in Then add my head to Mount Rushmore If there's room there for my chin And if we need more taxes I'll just make the Congress pay So lift your voice I'm the only choice God help the USA Never lie as president Of course not talking will be tough And as for leaks I give my word to only leak the juicy stuff We'll never go to war Because I couldn't stand the stress And Willie Nelson is my pick To head the IRS So Saddam Hussein won't mess with me What sister Vestal is in charge of my foreign policy I'll make July a holiday And let Christmas run through May Lowry is the one, we'll have so much fun God help the USA When I was a small boy in Vincennes, Indiana, I heard, I think, one of the most outstanding speeches I ever heard in my life. I think it compares with the Sermon on the Mount, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and Socrates' speech to the students. We had just finished reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, and he called us all together, and he says, uh, boys and girls... I have been listening to you recite the Pledge of Allegiance all semester, and it seems that it has become monotonous to you. Or could it be you do not understand the meaning of each word? If I may, I would like to recite the Pledge and give you a definition for each word. I, me, An individual, a committee of one, pledge, dedicate all of my worldly good to give without self-pity, allegiance, my love and my devotion to the flag, our standard, O glory, a symbol of courage, and wherever she waves there is respect. Because your loyalty has given her a dignity that shouts freedom 
is everybody's job. Of the united, that means we have all come together. States, individual communities that have united into 48 great states. 48 individual communities with pride and dignity and purpose, all divided by imaginary boundaries, yet united to a common cause, and that's love of country, of America. And to the republic, a republic, a sovereign state in which power is invested into the representatives chosen by the people to govern, and the government is the people. And it's from the people to the leaders, not from the leaders to the people, for which it stands. One nation, meaning so blessed by God, indivisible, incapable of being divided, with liberty, which is freedom, the right of power for one to live his own life without fears, threats, or any sort of retaliation and justice. The principle and qualities of dealing fairly with others for all. For all. That means, boys and girls, it's as much your country as it is mine. Now let me hear you recite the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Since I was a small boy, two states have been added to our country, and two words have been added to the Pledge of Allegiance under God. Wouldn't it be a pity if someone said that is a prayer and that be eliminated from our schools too?